actually more appropriate for Is this audio or audio and video? I'm only posting the audio. I, okay, so it doesn't, all right. It doesn't matter, but if you want to keep the Power Rangers up, I get it. It's comfortable. It is. It reminds me of home. Yeah, what home is that? <laughs> that's, I, that's true. That's you grew up with a Zord? I did, actually. Yeah, okay, so let's say you did. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yes hand this. Okay. What, what do you take out a flute? What do you take out to get your Zord out? Oh, Tiger Zord, 100%. The, and it would be a tiger? Uh, the, I, I had the Tiger Zord growing up, and that was the mm-hmm. year of the show, in America at least, and the, he summoned it with a sword. Mm. Is, the, is your tiger scared or allergic to something? Uh, yes. <laughs> to both. I feel like your tiger, you wouldn't really notice, and then it'd be like, oh, I don't eat bread. You know, like, <laughs> it'd come up in some sort of way where everyone's well, drinking it, milk, and your tiger's like, it would kill me. It, well, if, I mean, if we're to, if my Zord, it wouldn't be a tiger. I think, it, I, I think my Zord would be a, it would be a giant robotic, neurotic Jewish man. That's what it would be. <laughs> So just a bigger version of you. It's just Mecha Josh. Right. But still really unable to fight. Well, yeah. And I didn't assume your Zord could fight. <laughs> I just, even suspect that when all the Zords line up, yours is like seven eighths the size of the others. It's just a little bit smaller. Right. And I'd just be standing there going, I, you know, I have a herniated disc, so I'll, you know, I'll help where I can. No, I got it. So they call their Zords. You get your tiger sword out. You wave it around. And then the I, I, I guy shows up. The guy, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think I am that guy. Yeah, pretty much. No, I think you're still you. But I think when you call upon and like they bring out their like their T-Rex, you do yours. And then the guy just goes, I, I, I. And then you're like, yeah, that's right. That sounds about right. Did you watch the behind the, behind the scenes of how that show got made? I think it's on a Netflix Thing somewhere i listened to a podcast called how i, I want to say it's called how i made this or how i started this but it was like it had saban and he told the story of how it happened like he was like he wrote the heathcliff theme song oh he did that oh yeah it's a good theme yeah song. he wrote he wrote theme songs for and for cartoons that we watched growing up took that money can... bought the japanese yeah. footage and then combined it but just the look, just to, to be in the room with the look on the faces of the people he was selling it to going, are you out of your mind? And then the look on their faces two years later when it becomes this fine, like, what? That, 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 really? The thing that bought Fox. Because he bought, it, but they bought Fox with that money. So <laughs> yes, they said no. So he paid for the ad space and just put it on in the middle of the night. Yeah. And stoners were like, well, this is great. And they just watched it. And it was actually getting more viewers than the thing before it. So they just like, all right, fine. We'll put it on Saturday morning. It's family friendly. And it became like that huge phenomenon. Except he still wanted them to honor the, the paid slot that he was doing. So he got all the advertising money for Saturday prime time. Uh-huh. And then they moved it to daily. And he got daily. And it was for all the markets. He didn't give it to a broadcast. At the time, Fox was just a bunch of little markets. It was like 50 cities. Okay. So he was just raking in the dough. <laughs> Hilarious. And then he bought Fox. When it was time, he, he just bought the whole network. That's, that sounds about right. 
Um, did you mm-hmm. see? I missed the question. Did you see the movie? I mean, I did at the time. I don't remember it. Uh, no, I mean the one that came out like in 2018. Where they no, <laughs> no. Why would I see the one that came out in 2018? Exactly. Exactly. It's like no. The, it's it can't look. It can't look too good. That destroys it. It has to look like it was made for fifty thousand dollars for the whole season. I've complained about this with Godzilla. Every time they remake Godzilla, they're like, look, we made it look realistic. And like, nobody liked it because it looked realistic. Did you see the part that we loved? The movies we loved look like shit. That's what we love about it. It's for the same people that like watching like the model trains and they go, oh, look, the trees look like trees. Like that's, it's for that audience. That's what the Godzilla movies are for. Monster movies for train sets. Like I, I would love if, if I ever have, you know, one of those careers that they, that we talk about. Um, I would love to make an 80s movie using 80s special effects and only yes. only 80s special effects. So if somebody's on an alien planet, it's just a giant matte painting, clearly painted. Mm-hmm. Of course. You know, and they're riding on something and in the faraway shot, it's like a go motion, you know, or a stop motion. And then close up, it's a giant puppet that you just see the neck and the head of the thing. That would That would bring me so much joy. And it would- I don't know why they haven't done that. And I've mentioned something very similar. I'm not going to give away my idea because I do plan on pitching it one day. But it involves the bad special effects of the movie that we are referencing the whole time. <laughs> yes. It, it has to. That's why I, like- I, I couldn't understand when, when Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. I heard a rumor that, that they were... W- before it came out, the rumor I heard was that they were going to make the movie with all the same special effects as the originals, and they weren't going to use any mm-hmm. characters. And I wish they had done, if they had done that, I think I would have been there. Like they didn't, you know, why do we, they, they didn't need to add computer generated, you know, undergrowth. That was so strange. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, there's still other things I wouldn't have liked. Like, I don't want the movie to star somebody not Indiana Jones. So anytime we strayed from Indiana Jones, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm here for Indiana Jones. Right. Uh, the monkey swinging scene, of course, was trash. Right. And I think, right. Actually, and the, the other thing, too, is that I think originally, like, they, they changed Shia's character to be like this rebel without a cause thing. Yeah, very much. I thought like if they were going to go with the angle that this, that, that this is, you know, it seems like it's going to be a 1930s serial movie, but then it turns out to be a 1950s B movie in disguise by having the aliens show up at the end. I thought it would have been cool if the son of Indiana Jones was actually like a scientist or like, Mm. like a young Einstein and was much more of a nerd and kind of the opposite of Indiana Jones. What I love about this, you're like, I wish he was more like me. Yeah, I, I, really I wish that. Indiana Jones's son was me. I wish I played him and I wish he was small and fragile and <laughs> yeah, worked at a comedy club. I just wish, I don't know, there were some choices I would have made. I wish, yeah, that's, I realized that as, as I saw you laughing, I realized, ah, I've, I can't see the forest for the trees on that one because <laughs> there's too much computer generated trees that were added. So I can't see it. Yeah. And I mean, but it's also, it could be like the opposite of when the rock did rampage. 
Remember, because he was a scientist, but you're like, there's no scientist that has the time to look like The Rock. <laughs> the body maintenance of The Rock is a full-time job. You don't have time to be a bodybuilder and get a medical degree. It's just The combination doesn't exist. Well, can't you just put the book on the treadmill? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've seen his body. It's not a treadmill body. It's a oh. lot of heavy lifting, a lot of reps. Oh, I don't know how you do all He would have to put the book on the barbells and he would have to bring <laughs> it down to his face and like be yelling the periodic table as he's doing it. Like it's just, which they should address in the movie. They should have done that all over the gym is just all kinds of chemistry or whatever the hell there was for the Rampage movie. The movie that should have been awful looking, but they made, but they put a lot of money into it so we can hate it. I, I didn't see it, but was it, I mean, was it at least funny? You remember the, the Brendan Fraser mummy movies? How, of course, like it was ridiculous, but they, they basically, there were so many jokes in it that, mm -hmm. okay, no one's going to take this seriously. Brendan Fraser is going to just be a wisecracking guy. Fuck it. And then that like kind of worked. Yeah. 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 The, that charm was not in these movies. Oh. I mean, there's never been a rock movie that takes itself fully seriously. Mm hmm. But also, they don't go light enough on themselves outside of Jumanji. Wait, I have a question for, for Josh Schneider. Okay. Joshua Tiberius Schneider. Can I call you that? <laughs> why not? Sure. Why, why not? Well, I mean, actually, I think if I had to choose, I'd be more of a Picard guy. But I don't think he has a middle name. If you don't know it, then nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they definitely didn't make it as featured as Kirk's middle name. No, no, they didn't. Did you know that they have, like, I forget which city it is that he's from. I want to say it may be Independent City in Missouri. Wherever city he's from, they have a tombstone with his dates on it. Uh, oh, for James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah. Uh, and they, uh, and I, they just put up one for Janeway. Uh, really? Where? In, there's a, I think she's from a, She's from Indiana. There's a town in Indiana that the character's from, so they put up a statue of Janeway in the town of Indiana. As they should. I completely agree. Um, so the question I was going to ask you, by the way, this podcast will come out in three to four weeks, so if this sounds dated by then, whatever, I get it. Yesterday okay. was Halloween, so for yes. those listening, now you know that. Uh, what did you do? What did you dress up as? Uh... I, a neurotic Jew who uh, uh, cheating. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I I actually I did I worked. I went into the office a little bit. Um, I did an open mic on Zoom, and then uh, I went home and I played uh, I played Hexen. Hexen. Yes. Do I don't you know what Hexen is yet? I'll get back to that. What do you normally do on Halloween? Is that your normal what? Halloween? Pretty much. I, uh, I, I really, I haven't celebrated it for years or I haven't really done anything with it for you. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't. Is there a holiday you actually celebrate? Well, I mean, the Jewish holidays are kind of depressing, which I feel like I do already mm -hmm. day. So I, them. My favorite part about the Jewish holidays is it's tradition for the oldest, saddest member of the family to tell the, the sad story. That, it's like that is, I've never been to a Jewish, Jewish holiday, holiday where they don't go, wait, grandpa's going to say the story of the holiday. And it's not a good story. 
No, it's 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 basically the moral of the story is, you know, be grateful for what you have. Yeah, exactly. And Grandpa doesn't deliver it well. I've never seen someone tell the story well. In fact, there should be a market for somebody to make videos of the stories actually told well. So they could just play that instead of have Grandpa tell the story poorly. Could you be referring to the Cecil B. DeMille classic, The Ten Commandments? <laughs> okay, well, wait a second. <laughs> but I'm saying we need one for Passover and we need one for Hanukkah. And that I'm is Passover. <laughs> uh, Ten Commandments is Passover. Really? Yeah, that, the Passover is the story of Moses leading the Jews out of Egypt. Okay, never mind. I'm an idiot. And can I say, but, by the way, that that's the first time, like, I'm such a bad Jew, that's the first time I actually feel like I know more than someone else about my own religion, ever. Mm -hmm. you, even, there are times where usually I'm, I don't know anything and I'm surrounded by Christians. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's actually common for nowadays. I don't know any Jewish friends that are actually very sincerely knowledgeable on Judaism. Well, and it's interesting because I was, because it's, what's odd about Judaism is that it, it is a religion, but it is also a culture and a race. And it's, there's a gray area mm -hmm. in between. And it's not in between, it's all over. The gray area <laughs> is like biscuits and gravy and the gray area is the gravy. Well, yeah, but I, I read that the, apparently there are some people in, I think in America who consider themselves Jewish just because they think they have a sense of humor. <laughs> and that, I, I, I don't know how that information was found. I don't know if there was a mm. taker who was like, really? Well, I guess I'll write that down. And now that's in Wikipedia. Huh. I mean, it's, it's a funny culture. It, it uh, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> all it takes is unending suffering. Yeah, you know what? Well, yeah, let's start now. Oh, wait, you already started? Okay, I didn't know that. If only Cecil D. DeMille made a movie, it'd let me know there was suffering. <laughs> uh, I've never seen that movie, by the way. Uh, it's... At, well, actually, I, I just watched a really interesting documentary about uh, uh, a husband and wife. The, the husband was a storyboard artist who worked with DeMille, he worked with uh, um, uh, Hitchcock. And like, you know, that's, you know that famous scene in The Graduate where you have Dustin Hoffman in the room with uh, Anne Bancroft and he, you uh -huh. see him underneath the legs, her legs? Yeah, of course. Well- You're either gonna say that scene or the scene where he's running. Those are the two famous scenes. The, right, but the scene with the, that was, that guy storyboarded that. Okay. And so I think he's the one that kind of came up with, you would think that it was uh, Mike Nichols because Nichols directed it. But this mm -hmm. guy, like he, he was a really, really good storyboard artist. He was a bomber in World War II. And he, had to look, he was the guy looking under the scope down at the ground, calculating where the bombs were going to drop. And so he was really, really good at drawing, knowing what kind of lens was going to be used. So- mm whatever he drew they could actually when they put the lens and they built the set it actually would work and he was, makes a lot of sense for hitchcock because hitchcock's uh, movies are like perfectly yes framed and and he and he also he storyboarded the ten commandments 
and there you you know pretty much Demille like you see the storyboard, you see the shot, and Demille just took the friggin' storyboard pretty much as it was. So he's uh, and he's done a lot of movies, and you know never has really gotten credit for it. Mm. Like a moron, I can't remember his name. So it's a net, it's a Netflix documentary. So the whole thesis of the movie about making him famous, I failed. 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 That's awful. That's like watching those movies about the guys that were the studio musicians that were on a hundred hits, and be like, "Can you name one of them?" Like, ah, no, no. But they played no. "My Girl." They <laughs> they played really well, and a hundred other songs I know. My girl. Yeah, I mean, what you said that like that song was about a girl that got away for you personally. <laughs> you know what? I, I was. I was actually thinking about the movie, the Macaulay Culkin movie, when I was thinking about that. Yeah, I wish that song was about a bee attack instead. <laughs> this exact same music, changed the lyrics. Well, that, but was weird. You can't see without his glasses is what the song will be called. Yeah, that, that was a really, that was a weird, I have two anecdotes about that. Uh, number one, that was, uh, like, that was kind of the beginning of my sexual awakening, where part of me was like, I want to see them get- The dead people? No, my girl. Yeah, but there, it takes place in a morgue. I'm talking about the kids. Okay. Um, that lived in the morgue. The necrophilia was later for me. That was okay. Um, that was all right. You're right. I interrupted. Go ahead. So your <laughs> sexual awakening. So Anna Klemsky was a, yes. was a big crush for you. Uh. Okay. I, here's this weird thing. When I was um, when I was first uh, going through it what 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 got me uh, what got me hot and bothered was was the notion of watching two other people have sex mm-hmm. me having sex so there's something about the watching two other people do it and that movie the two of them where they have the kiss scene was like oh ooh, i was in the theater going oh um mm-hmm. And I, as I recall that was a very awkward moment too because i think my dad took me to see that so i'm having that next to in this movie this was i can, you think your dad looked over at you while you're watching it watching you watch the people kiss and he's like oh god this kid has no chance look at him uh well you know what he, he <laughs> who introduced me to star trek he was the one who introduced me to star wars and he had beatles albums right there that he never showed me so he has to take responsibility for this uh, yeah, it's true. He, he's like, I could show this kid love songs so he understands the concept of love or space travel. <laughs> and that, and he made the, he, the die was cast. Uh, now, the other anecdote about that one, though, was I was one of, uh, listening to an interview with Jamie Lee Curtis, and she was talking about how, um, she had ideas for the wardrobe for that movie because th- it took place in the '60s. I yes. Think. Yeah, and the di- and she was she credited the director because the, you know, she wanted to have a you know she wanted to dress like it was the '60s. And he's mm-hmm. don't, you know, we're, yes, it takes place in the '60s, but don't hit it over the head. Like let's not let's not be overt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, number one, it will feel more real. And number two, it'll actually, even though it takes place in the '60s, it will feel more timeless, as the yeah. ages. And I, and I, and the funny thing is, is that I, you know, I, I'd heard that and I thought oh, that was a really kind of a cool 
that was a cool idea on the part of the director to the point that now whenever I see a movie like like that one, I see the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984 and every single shot is them hitting it over the head. It's the 80s, mm-hmm. 80s. I'm wearing a fanny pack. It's the, you know, and um, and I, that, you know, and I know it's kind of, it's a different genre. So it's not, it's maybe not a way to compare it, but I thought, I just thought that was an interesting notion. No, it's really smart. Because it's almost like Wonder Years did something similar. Also took place in the 60s. They hit it over the head sometimes, but not all the time. Right. Like Kevin's sister was kind of hitting it over the head, but Kevin wasn't. Yeah, exactly. To the point that you forget that that was filmed in the 80s. And I think, and and in the 60s, they weren't all hippies in the 60s. There were plenty of people who were just... who, who Going to work. I die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I... That's the part of the I take away from Wonder Years the most is the dad. Uh-huh. Is some people just go to work and just tired, and that's their existence. Yeah, that was that was a really I, I watched that growing up. That that there was always really kind of a melancholy undertone to that show. I thought. Yeah, there there definitely is. I mean, uh, the the pilot, his brother dies, or Winnie's brother dies. Right. And so we, we like deal with that side immediately it's like vietnam is happening it's in full swing and we're just trying to be a regular suburban family while that's going on right right more like the blunder years sorry i have to edit that part out now you know this was going great wasn't gonna have to do any weird middle edits (laughs) uh doggone it which I think I stole from, I think that was a Mad Magazine. When Mad Magazine made fun of it, I think they called it the Blunder Years, I think. And if- Whatever they called it, it rhymed for sure. Yes, yeah. I used to love Mad Magazine. And then there became a point where like my sense of humor outgrew it. Everyone has that point with it. And you uh-huh. just realize they're just rhyming, you know, whatever they can with the word dick or booger or whatever. Yeah, well, it's it's sad that it's that it's not here anymore. Um, it is sad. I was sad that it was gone. Alfred E. Newman deserves a statue somewhere. Yeah. Well, because and I'm thinking, you know, and you know, I uh, like I, I understand, you know, why, like I, I understand why it's gone because print, you know, print media is gone. But sure. there's a part of it that's like ah, you know, they could. It would have been great if they could have figured out a way to at least make it online or, you know, do something. To keep they it- tried stuff, though. They did. Yeah. Nothing really went because they tried a cartoon. They tried, of course, Mad TV. They tried things. Right. Mad was a brand that died, not just a magazine. Yeah. Well, maybe all that means is that somebody, whoever owns the rights to it in five years is going to try to bring it back. And it may be successful or it may be. It's going to be like 15, 20, it's going to be like the chipmunks where the guy who started Mad Magazine is going to die and the son's going to uh, uh, get the rights and then be like, what do I do with this? I have a responsibility. <laughs> and then we'll have the 80s chipmunks movie except starring Alfred E. Newman. Please tell me that the son is named Wilfred E. Newman. <laughs> he could. There's just no reason he shouldn't be. In fact, Alfred E. Newman should have a kid. It's really modern and just a total shit. And the dad has to look at him and be like, oh, what is this? And, and he's just doing TikTok. <laughs> Learning dumb dances. 
Wait, so um, I, I want to ask you a couple stand-up questions. Okay. All you right. do stand-up comedy, correct? Uh, well, I think it's stand-up. I don't know what... <laughs> I, that, that, that people may disagree with me. That's the, that's the goal. That's the attempt. That's the, you know, that's the agenda well, I, I get up there. I, I get, I've watched you for years. I, I know exactly what you do up there. <laughs> you do yeah. stand-up. No, I shouldn't have said... I felt bad asking it in that way. Like, I was definitely like... I put a troll spin on the pitch, but I know the answer is yes, you do stand up. How long have you been doing it? Uh, I think, uh, Jesus, I think 10 years about. Because I tell people we started about the same time. Yeah. I feel like that's correct. When did you start? I feel like maybe nine, 10 years ago, somewhere about there. Because it was was either, and in the beginning, I was only doing it like once a week and uh, not I, it was, I was only doing it once a week, and then people were yeah. like, "You have to start doing it every day." Yep, and then, and then I, I got to doing it every day. Mm-hmm. It, it was either 2009 or 2010, so it's been about 10 years. Nice. And I and I remember that it was I remember that it was right after the crash. That it was post. It was a post. You know, the 2008 crash. The stock market crash. It was right. Okay. I don't put things on stock market times. I don't have a stock market calendar to like know what crash. I was like, because in my mind, I was like, the crash is after the comedy boom. And I was like, the 90s? The 90s was the stand-up crash. Well, I because I remember, what I remember about the, two, why I remember the 2008 crash was because, you know, I was living with guys I went to college with at the time. And I remember that they had to go they were waiting tables. We were all trying to do the acting thing. Uh-huh. They had to go from working three or four nights a week with only one job to having to have two or three jobs to make the same amount of money. And it uh-huh. happened like within, like it happened so fast that, that they, that everyone had to work twice as hard. And I just remembered that's, that really like stuck in my mind uh-huh. um, and how that, and kind of, it's never gotten better. I mean, it's bad, but, it, but I mean, even like before COVID, it, it's still, it, it was still that bad, which is. Yeah. Yeah. It was still pretty bad. Yeah. It, it never, there was a lot of wealth that was lost in that crash and a lot of a standard of living that got lost that, and what's creepy is how that it was lost and it, and it never came back and it, but every, but at the world after that just became normal and uh-huh. oh, i'm gonna need two or three jobs to survive and that's what spawned the whole gig economy and uber and lyft and all that stuff uh-huh. that's yes that's but true I, although did you ever do that uber and lyft yeah or postmates or any of that no i didn't i uh no. you luckily had flappers before that uh correct i did did I work at Flappers before you did, or did you work there before I did? You clearly worked there after me, uh, and I you still remember. being there. <laughs> yes, I I can't remember that either. I know that I uh, when did I start? If it's the, I want to say when I started, you were doing volunteer stuff, and by the time I was done, you were like full blown full hours in the office. Yeah, well, yeah, because I. Well, I started, I went in there with uh, another comedian brought me there to do one of the open mics and it was the week before Christmas. 
Is that person still doing comedy? Uh, I think so. Jim Bruce, you know, Jim, right? No. Jim, Jim Bruce. He's a great, he's a great joke writer. I always remember that. He's, he's always a good, always a good writer. And um, he, he, so he brought me there because I'd never been there before. And we were just going to do an open mic. And the, uh, the host didn't show up. So mm. the bartender said, does anyone want to host this? And I said, I'll do it. So I did it. And then a week later, I went back and did another open mic. And the, the booker at the time, Andy, Andy Dugan. Uh, no, Randy. Yeah, he watched me do my set. And he said, hey, do you want to just take over hosting Wednesday night in the bar? So I took over hosting Wednesday night in the bar. I did that for about half a year. And then I uh, uh, asked if I could start hosting Saturday nights. So I started hosting Saturday nights after mm-hmm. a while. And then uh, I went in looking for a job, kind of, well, actually, it was weird because I think I went in one day and I was, and that was when Drew was working in the box office. Uh-huh. And I asked him about a class and he misunderstood me and thought I was asking about a job. So he sent oh. me to somebody else who was working in the office and I, I ended up, um, I ended up answering phones on Saturdays. They needed a Saturday person to answer phones and do data entry. And I did that for a half a year. And then um, I think it was 2013. I think that the beginning of the year, I basically, that's when I started working full time as Barb's assistant. Okay. See, that that must have been because I feel like I was the replacement for Drew. I was hired. And then I feel like a month or two after I got hired and trained up. Yep. Drew had, he was ready to start hitting colleges. Yes. Like he was warming up for all that and he was still working the box office and they needed someone to kind of take over those hours. So yeah, it would, all right. Then it was right around the same time. I think you, I think you were there before me. I think you were hired before me. I, th- I think I was getting paid before you, but I think yeah. you were there before me. Well, that could, I mean, cause it, yeah, if, because I, yeah, because I was, I was around a full year before I was hired full time. Exactly. Yeah. I think you were doing the Saturdays and stuff because you'd stop by and we'd hang out and talk and stuff. Okay. Got it. Man. <laughs> that was a long time ago. I know. I know. Because <laughs> the club is how many years old now? Uh, 10 years in September. And you, oh my God. And you have been there for what? At least eight? Yeah, eight or nine. Well, because the club had been open for two years when I started there. So I, I think it's eight years. I think it'll be eight years. Jesus. I think it'll be eight years come January. Yeah. I mean, so you can't tell the story of Flappers without you and Flappers can't tell the story of itself without you as well. Fla- oh, Flappers could probably omit me if they wanted to. I mean, I, I, I'm... They could, <laughs> but that's not appropriate. Uh. Sure. I guess, I guess so. Yes, I guess so. I guess technically right. Yeah. I mean, cause if you think about it, it's like you would want to mention like the bookers, like the Andes and the Richies and stuff, but yep. a lot more of them have come and gone than the Joshes. So the mainstays of the place are you and, and Will, Barb and Dave, of course, cement. And, um, and of course, Jeffrey and Bobby have been there the whole time. And Misha. Right. I don't, well, I don't know if Bob, 
Bobby might have been there. Was Bobby there the whole time? He's been there a the long- whole time. He, he has been. He okay. was there when it was a macaroni grill. He came with the macaroni grill. That's right. Because Jeffrey, he- Bobby, and Will all worked there when it was a macaroni grill. And then right. they sold it to be a comedy club and they all transferred over into working for a comedy club. Okay. I that well, I knew that I knew that Will and Bobby were at the macaroni grill before that. But the other thing is that the place, the macaroni, like it, the macaroni, the place was vacant, I think, for two years. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was vacant during that time period. Those guys were out there wandering the earth for two years and came back when it opened up. Yeah. My understanding of Will's position, or Will, not his position, but his, how he got to be the manager, was he was waiting tables for the first, like, couple months, and then one, like, two months in or something. I, either Barb or Dave asked him to stay late and help like do all the paperwork and stuff and close it. And yeah. they're like, we want to just keep doing this and this is your job now? And he was like, sure. And 10 years later, he's managed the place very successfully. Well, I also think that he was, he was taking classes with them too because he was... Con- yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's had a close friendship with them for a long time. Yeah. Predating the club. Yes. Which it wouldn't shock yeah. me if that's how they got the macaroni grill people is him working there before... And then being like, hey, who do you think you should, we could hire to work when we start? Right. And reaching out to some of those macaroni grill people. Yeah, I, uh, that's a good, yeah. It was, that's probably, it was probably something along those lines. I could reach out to Will and get him on the episode to, uh, to explain uh, yes. all that. Because I started talking to some of the Flappers people. I was like, because Flappers is a big part of my stand-up history. Mm. And it, uh, it's a thing that I constantly see myself defending when talking to other stand-ups. Because mm. as you know, uh, people make a lot of jokes about flappers, and not just that the name is shitty. Um, you know, like they they make a joke about the culture of the place, and I think the culture of the place is exactly what you make it. Yeah, I, I you know, I mean, it could just be, you know, with, with that kind of stuff, it sometimes it feels to me, you know, damned if I do, damned if I don't. And it, it it's it really is. I, but it's got to be that way with every comedy club. It, well, and it, it's also just, a, a you know, it's, you know, no matter what, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, we're the, you know, we're the, you know, we're the club, they're the co- comedians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I just, I just wish, especially, um, I just wish, especially like, especially now, because I was talking to a, uh, an agent who he thinks that by the end of this COVID thing, he thinks that half of the comedy clubs are going to be closed permanently. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I just wish that in like, I, I wish that the, you know, that we would work together better. And I think we all have, we all have to come together better. And I, I really, as clubs or comedians, both. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all I think we all need to be on the same team and we all have to we all have to work together to keep the community going. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, one concern I have is, you know, you see Joe Rogan, for instance, moving to Texas. Yeah. You know, if if more of the big name comics move out of L.A. and L.A., you know, no L.A. could, you know, it will cause the scene to diminish. And I think that it's why, you know, 
you think about like those big names when they leave, you know, how many comedians does Joe Rogan end up kind of employing? Or how many comedians, like 20, you know, or how many comedians does he, you know, he helps with their career. And so when they start leaving, I think it really, I'm really worried it's going to have a negative impact on the community as a whole. But I, you know, I, so all I can do is, you know, I, I just try to do the best job I can to be as, to be as inclusive as possible and to, to, um, uh, help, you know, to help as, as much as I can help. And uh-huh. the, the, uh, I'm not immune to, you know, addressing the, you know, the negativity. I'm not, I'm not immune to negative. I'm, I get negative too. And comics, uh, I mean, I don't know. Can you be funny and not have a little bit of negativity? I'm not sure. I ask myself that all the time. And then you look <laughs> back and you're like, no, Jerry's the grumpiest guy ever. If you look at it, you know, like. Yeah. So comics are going to be negative and comics are going to, you know, make fun of what they make fun of. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the, uh, at the end of the day, it just, it doesn't, it seems like it, it is more constructive to uh, how can we help each other? How can we work together? Mm-hmm. Can we, for sure, you know, how can we do that? So that's why, you know, that's, that's all I can do. And I, if I could put a positive spin on the Joe Rogan thing, you said, what I believe if I could put a positive spin on the Joe Rogan thing. Yeah. I believe that all comics and where they're currently at is all place filling. And the top of the mountain consistently has new faces up there. And the top of the mountain seems to have to come to LA to work in the entertainment industry. So I feel like because of New York and LA being the hubs of television networks, our scenes are untouchable because we will always pluck the best of the rest of the country because the top guy in Omaha might be the next guy to get the television deal. And they're not filming that show in Omaha. Well, yeah, I, 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 I would, you're probably right. I, I guess I understand right now there's not a lot of production, but production starting up again. Yeah. Yes. And so it's like, yeah, I get it. Joe Rogan's got to fly people out to Texas to do his thing. So he can do it under a different law set, but every single guest on his show is flying back home to Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. I, I think that I, I think, you, I think you, I hope, let me put it to you this way. I hope that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I um, because I think the other thing that, that has really happened in this uh, is, is people have really learned how much can be done from home and how mm-hmm. you know like I, you know I'm, a, I'm watching Star Trek Discovery and I'm reading about how the all the post-production work was done at home and mm-hmm. at Star Trek Discovery is pretty much a movie it's a 10-hour guy yeah movie the special effects are better than the movies that actually came out in theaters and and i just think that you know if if it's determined that you know agents and managers don't need can do everything on zoom and if it's Mm -hmm. that uh you know studios can yeah okay we'll shoot we'll you know we'll shoot the series in atlanta and we'll do the post-production you know this dude in durango colorado will do the post-production you know it may really you know, Hollywood may really shift to the cloud. Uh, and that's- some of it, but you got to get people together to do the actual filming equipment part. I understand all that post was done there, but the production was uh-huh. still done here. 
production yeah. was still done on the stage. And yeah, and the, all the major studios are still here. And yeah, I, and as far as the comedy clubs are concerned, the guy who edited Star Trek is not going to sell out the club. The person who starred in it will. You never know. I mean, the <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a tight five on uh, making the spore drive work? No, all right. Uh, but yes, well, that, that uh, I think you may, yeah. Uh, I, I, I sincerely hope you're right. But I, I but yeah, so I, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, as much as possible, stay positive. Yeah, I think so. Or, or be, you know, take positive actions. And you know what else can you do? I'm, I mean, you can be negative. Oh, I do plenty of that on my own. That's yeah, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like you can do that. <laughs> You're not gonna die doing that either. It's fine. Yeah. Let's see where are we at? There we go. Um, I want to thank you for addressing all of that stuff. I didn't know if it was gonna be cool to go into that area. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the you know the other thing I'll say is that. Um, uh, I think that, you know, a lot, it, it's really painful to be a comedian right now because, you know, for, I know for me, and I imagine for a lot of other comedians, there's no, you know, the number of outlets that were available. I mean, I never, it's, you know, the luxury of being able to go to even a shitty open mic live and, you know, test material now is, not what it was. So I uh -huh. think a lot of, I think there's a lot of depression out there. I think there's a lot of, um, uh, I mean, there well, there was depression before, but now I think it's really, so, so, you know, whenever I, I guess whenever I see negativity, I try to, I, I try to, you know, look at it as it's what I'm looking at really here is pain. Uh -huh. That's and, true. And, and what I'm trying, and then my question is, well, you know, what can I, do, you know, well, well, all right, what can we do to alleviate the pain? Mm -hmm. This is the part that I think is missing now that we can't all gather in the same room is that before COVID, if somebody was faking being a comedian on the internet, all you had to do was put them in front of an audience for everyone to see that that person's faking. Mm. Now that we don't have the audience to put that person in front of, these people aren't being humbled. <laughs> well <laughs> that's, that's you know, so rude of me that i'm like we need to humble them all yeah I, yeah i don't know i mean it i i kind of uh i, I mean i i think the the industry is really really shifting and the the content creator which by the way is a term that i'd never even heard of before this year but mm -hmm. The era of, you know, they're the era of the TikTok celebrity. And when I watch, when I'm starting to follow some of these people who have gotten big on TikTok, who um, I would imagine, by the way, if you put them in front of an audience, they would not do well. And I, I don't know them personally, but I've, I've kind of, I know people who know them. And fortunately, I think the, the ones who are some of these new emerging TikTok you know, TikTok people who make funny videos, I think they know it too and would mm -hmm. never presume to say I'm a comedian. Um, 
I, I think that might be the like, oh, no, 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 I make videos. I don't I, no, I don't want to be on stage. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think the, I would hope that the ones that are the irony is that the ones who are uh, the ones who are aware that they are not comedians are probably the ones who would eventually be better comedians than the ones mm-hmm. who totally destroy on stage. And then they go on stage and they go, oh, this is this is a little different than a 30 second video. Yeah. Can you talk about a time that you rooted against somebody and they won and you're like, damn it. Well, the the problem with that question is that um, anyone who's more successful than I am, I hate. Oh, okay. Anyone. (laughs) I just, I'm jealous. I hate them. I hate their mothers. Um, So it's very... And I know I'm supposed to be, you know, oh, I, I should be, I should be grateful that they've, that they had this good fortune. And I, and I, I'm good at saying that to them and um, uh, taking action. But then I go home privately and I, and I'm like, fuck all of you. Uh, so that's, I'm very, huh. very petty when it comes to that. If anyone is more successful than I am, I hate you. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting, I didn't, I never, I never noticed any of that in you. Well, I, I try to hide it, but it's, I'm very, mm-hmm. because, because it's really, uh, all it is, is it's, again, it's just an outcry. But also you and I both watch people go from open mics to success. Yes. Oh yeah. And there is some pride in that that I see. Like, I'm just like, like, I act like I got to witness something awesome when like everything actually that awesome that happened, happened away from the open mics. But I was like, yep. <sighs> well, yeah, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I guess when I see that, there's a part of me that's like, you know, like that is genuinely good for them that they got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. I, if our roles were re- reversed, I would want someone to be happy for me if I got what I wanted. So mm-hmm. I do see that. But then, I mean, there is, you know, one of, you know, the big, I, I guess it's a first world problem, which is what it is, is that I, you know, I'm still, you know, profoundly not happy with where I'm at. So Uh when I see other people get it, I do, you know, I, uh, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I'm like, ah, damn it. You know, I, it, it it's hard. It is, but also that's a completely, the best part about all of that is it's all things you can control. All things you can change. So the only person you can really blame is you, but the person who can fix it is still you. And so it's all in your power to, to change it. Right. Everything except making it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but preparing for it. True. Yes, that is true. Yes. Because I know I, I said it work. once to somebody that was new. And like, I think I, I, it was like I was giving them advice, really giving me advice. Where it was, uh, I was like, well, not everyone gets drafted on the same day. You know what I mean? Like. I started with a bunch of people and I'm watching them start to succeed or receive success now, you know, like, and it's just like, well, yeah, yeah. But we didn't all immediately be picked first, you know, like as it happens that our class grows, it's going to be plucked one by one. And the other thing I try to remind myself of too, that I've heard before is that there's, there's room for you. Yeah. Uh, There's, it's not that they're getting it 
it's not that they're getting the spot that that you should have gotten that, mm-hmm. that that there's enough abundance out there that there's enough for all of us mm-hmm. so you know don't give up keep working at it and you'll find you know you'll find your your place eventually wherever yeah i mean but can i have that now i i i know <laughs> i know i'm right there i know but, <laughs> i think we feel the same thing there because we we're both started at the same time yeah we've both been working like every day for 10 years and you're like but now can now be now but it's but then when i look back on it you know when i when i look at the people you know who make it when they do make it or who you know who get the heat when they get the heat you know looking back on it you know it was it was kind of the right time and place for them and so maybe you know it I'm, was it was either the right time and place or it happened too early it's never been too late well right but even i mean even i mean even you know too early again is kind of that that's it it you know, maybe too early or maybe, you know, they needed to get that early success to then run into the obstacle of, all right, now that I have this success and I'm not prepared for the next level and mm-hmm. then work on that. And then when they're ready, then the next yes. for them. Whereas, That's right. you know, what I'm hoping, like I'm hoping the advantage, you know, I'm hoping the advantage that I hope we would have is that because we've been doing it for 10 years, when it comes there's going to be more maturity that we can attack it with. Mm-hmm. Like I remember uh, in call, co- I went to a lot of my friends in college were film majors and they, you know, had made their shorts that they submitted. And sometimes when they, you know, some of them, when they got attention, you know, the agent or the manager or the development person or whoever who was talking to them would say, okay, great. We're, you know, what's your feature script? And they'd go, uh, uh I just have this short. Yeah. That's, you know, what I, you know, what we, what we all have to be prepared for, you know, when you talk about preparation, it's, you know, you, you get on America's Got Talent and you make it to second place. And then you're sitting there with a, you know, NBC guy. The question is, you know, (laughs) they're going to be asking you, what do you want to do? And, you know, it, the key is, you know, all right, well, I've got this show idea. Here it is. Here's the pilot. Here's the series Bible. And boom, mm-hmm. you're going to go versus, uh, I don't know. So hopefully we're, you know, hopefully we have, uh, hopefully we have an idea of that. I mean, I imagine, like, do you, like, if, if a development executive came to you and said, what do you want to do? Do you have a show? Do you have a movie? Do you have, do you have an idea for something? <laughs> Joshua Snyder. You can find him on Instagram at Nerdy Virgin. You can also find him, I want to say it's also at Nerdy Virgin on Twitter as well. It might be Joshua Snyder. I already forgot. Uh, but Nerdy Virgin is the tag you find him on under social medias. I just call him Josh Schneider. There's no way in the world I'm going to call him that for multiple reasons. One, I don't think there's anything wrong with being nerdy. 
I said it, Josh. I don't think that uh, you have to live by worrying by keeping up with the virginity enough or the nerdiness enough. You know, like, and I know when you got it, you were a virgin. And I know he's not a virgin anymore. If Josh's family's listening, you don't got to worry about that. I think he's pretty open about that. He's had sex, I think, twice now. But that's neither here nor there. Nor, nothing I wanted to talk to him about, either. Like, when we got into the conversation, I didn't want to talk to him about those things. I mean, a little bit about the nerdiness, because that's just who he is. I think you got a better picture of who he is from this conversation than those two words. And I know that, like, everyone's trying to brand themselves. And I understand it's like, oh, yeah, these are two things I feel like define my character. But it's like, no, Josh is so much more. And he just showed us. Love Josh. Known him forever. Love knowing him the whole time. I feel like every time I talk to him, I get a straight answer. I feel like I can ask him anything. And I feel like because he works at Flappers, people want to ask him questions about Flappers and they're afraid to just shoot it to him straight. You know, like if you're shooting at it with an angle, yeah, it's going to come off defensive. But if you just shoot him straight, I feel like I asked everything I directly wanted to talk to him about. And also like a couple like questions towards, you know, the place he works. That's just the way that is. I think it's great. And I think it's great for people to reach out and talk to these people, um, the Flappers people, because I know it was mentioned somewhat in the, the interview, but it has a bad reputation, but it's only but treated me great. And so I wanted to show people what my relationship with the place is like. And honestly, my relationship with the building of Flappers is a lot like what you just heard with between me and Josh. And it's fine. And it's friendly. And, you know, like Dave, who I'm going to have on one day, also just as nice and friendly, just as good, just as open to having these questions shot directly at him. Don't be afraid to talk to Flappers. Don't be afraid to embrace it. I understand People make jokes about it, but I don't know. I embrace it. I love it. Flappers. That's that's my piece on them. Uh, and then next week, we have Valerie Tossi. Uh, Valerie Tossi and I have been friends for a long time. And she did Conan this year before everything shut down. And then the world shut down. I don't think we talked about her appearance on Conan at all, actually. We've already had the interview. It's uh, It was... I called it the Thanksgiving episode, so we talk a lot about family and what that's like, and if you know her, it's dramatic, and uh, we talk a lot about food, and if you know me, I, I kind of view food dramatically, I do, like, I obsess over food, and I think about it all the time, and the way I interact with it, um, I try to interact with food as healthy as possible, but it's like, it's an obsession, it's an obsession on why I'm saying no to this food, or why I'm finally giving in to this craving, I have an obsession with food. Uh, we talk a lot about food. So that's what's coming next week. Valerie Tossi. We're talking about family. We're talking about food. It's going to be a fun episode. And then, of course, let me plug myself. I'm Aaron M. Marsh. How you doing? I started another podcast. I didn't tell nobody. It's called Is This The Way? And it's a Mandalorian podcast that I do with Andy Leonard's. You may remember Andy Leonard's. He had uh, two... He had two episodes with me in the past. Now we're recapping every episode of Mandalorian right after it comes out and we cover the things you missed you know all those easter eggs that we can find we let you know the day after so you can sound smarter at work on Monday nerdier virginier whatever you want you know like and then like Andy knows a lot about the history of these things so like we were just going over the tribes of Mandalorians and how they all interact with each other and how they come from different tribes which I didn't know a lot about so that's out now 
Um, I'm still, I've put it in to be put through all the different services. So much like how this podcast showed up, you know, one week it was on Google and then it wasn't. And then it was like, oh, can you be on Spotify? And then like all of a sudden it just was. That's what's happening with this, but it's out there. If you Google it, is this the way a Mandalorian podcast, Aaron Michael Marsh and Andy Leonard's, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing that right now. And if you listen to it, I play the guitar uh, and the intro and outro for it. I, uh, I, I made the soundtrack. I did not make the soundtrack for this one. I love it, but I didn't play on it. This other one I play on, so that's fun. Um, and that, yeah, I got, so got some pins and stickers at Aaron M. Marsh. Come and get your pickers, your pickers, come and get your pickers for Christmas. Your pickers for Christmas. That's, that's right. Thank you for, for listening and thank you for putting up with me. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find a place in this world or never belong, I've got to be me.